Greetings from Flippin' Arkansas. That's where we were last week. Some of you noticed, you know the trick. That's why I had to laugh. Probably showed the picture of the fish. You know, you know the, the arm extended thing. If you could see from the side, so when you put a fish out front, that fish looks like half the size of me. Actually, if I had held it in like this, it would have been far smaller. But I just did not because I wanted to fool anybody. Talking about ties that bind. In this series, we're doing some character studies, getting to know biblical characters in order to identify emotional connections that move them toward God and away from him. What we'll notice is God's ability to accomplish his purposes in spite of human weakness, and we'll see today, in spite of human sin. Before we talk about David and Bathsheba, let's talk about sin. There's a a passage I allude to uh, frequently. I like it because it gives a picture of sin. Sometimes things are easier caught when there's an image, a picture, and that's true of sin. Look what Jeremiah says. Speaking on behalf of God, Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. There's two sins then. One involves leaking cisterns, and the other involves living streams. This is a cistern. A cistern is waterproof. It's like a well but it's not fed by a spring. It's waterproof, so there's a hole cut in the ceiling because cisterns are filled with rainwater. There's not a spring innervating this cistern, so it collects rainwater, and that's the difference between a cistern and a stream. A stream is fed by water, and a cistern is not. And again, it's not an inexhaustible source of water. The pond on our property... It's more cistern than stream. It's not fed by an underground water source. It's fed by runoff from rain, and so it's more like a cistern. Uh, A spring of living water, that water isn't stagnant because it's being fed. I, I think I've told about this before. On the way to high school, I grew up in Saugus, Massachusetts, about a maybe a half a mile down, I'd walk down Vine Street that I lived on, take a ride onto Highland Avenue, and Highland Avenue was dead-ended, and it became just a gravelly path that walked to the back of the high school. There was a creek that ran along the divider between the road and the ending of the road and the gravel path. And so there was a bridge across it, and if you just walked down over the bridge or on the other side of the bank, coming out from the side of the embankment was ice-cold water from a spring. Now it's all dammed up. I went back there afterwards to see if it was still there, and it's not. But at one time, you could go down there, and it was flowing from, it was feeding this, and you could cup your hands in and would do that. On hot days, we'd get a drink of water before we commenced to heading to high school. Um, and Jeremiah uses this image of a cistern. And you might think of that spring or river flowing body of water. What sin is, it's confusing a cistern with a spring. And that's sin. 
depending on something like that to supply what only a living spring water source can provide. Let's look at uh, 2 Samuel 11. We talk about leaking cisterns. I've got a bug. Okay, he's gone. Okay. I probably didn't need to tell you that, did I? I was wondering, so you're seeing me trying to, I decided I'd just come out with it, because I was trying to squish this thing on my paper, and knowing exactly what would happen with that, I am wearing what color shirt? If you check on me afterwards, you will most likely see some stains here and there. And so what I'm thinking, if I just squished that bug, you know what exactly what would have happened, don't you? At some point in the message, I would have drawn my finger across my white shirt and added bug guts to the... Okay, you didn't need to know that either. Move on, Mike. Move on. Move on. Okay, we're fine. Talk about leaking cisterns. One evening, David got up from his bed, says in 2 Samuel 11, and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. We don't know why David didn't go to war. It's this time of the year when kings go to war and he didn't. We could try to analyze that, but relative to dealing with guilt, you can't keep yourself so busy doing things that you don't fall into sin. Sin is going to be an issue whether you keep yourself busy or not, so let's go on. David had plenty of wives, but in identifying Bathsheba, he draws from a source that isn't his to draw from. Bathsheba is a Jewish woman. Uh, she has a pretty famous grandfather who was an advisor to King David. She married a Hittite man. Now, Hittites lived among Jews, but and so that wasn't as stigmatizing as it might have been. What I mean is that it's not like Hittites were like other kinds of Gentiles. They lived among the Jews. However, uh, she was never going to be able to give birth to a child that was going to be able to make his way into the higher echelons of Jewish society because the child would be the byproduct of a Hittite man and a Jewish woman. At any rate, she had married Uriah probably to the maybe not looked on as being as good a choice. We don't know this, but perhaps. Anyways, going on, David um, sleeps with her while Uriah is away at war. She becomes pregnant and then trying to, to evade detection. David sends Uriah home for some R&R thinking that he would sleep with his wife, and then everybody would think that the child was his. But Uriah wouldn't because his band of brothers was out fighting, and so he refused. David sent word to Joab, the commander of the armies, put Uriah in the middle of the fighting. Having done so, Uriah died. David thought he had tied up on loose ends, and God sends Nathan the prophet. And this is what he said. I'm just going to read. It's not in your worship, but just listen. Here's what it says. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it. 
and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over, because he did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. Ended up being his son. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. That was Absalom. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Interesting, the wages of sin is death, not a demotion or a broken ankle. And so, if God's going to balance the scales of justice relative to sin, somebody's going to die. And what he says, you are not going, so you're not going to die. Uh, but because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. And then, subsequent to this, uh, the child becomes sick. There are two different paths that stretch out before David at this point. He is going to see the fruit of what he did wrong. It's going to stare him in the face, not something that he can hide. He can't even hurl blame at somebody else. It landed on him. He can't justify it. Two different paths that stretch out in front of him. The pages of the Bible are littered with individuals who never recover from moral failure. The Bible is littered with them. David's son, Amnon, not Absalom, Amnon. David had a number of wives and a number of kids. Amnon was one of them. and He is the example of somebody who was not able to recover from a moral failure. Let me tell you what happened quickly. Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. They had the same father but different mothers. So she was a half-sister. 
and he fell in love with her. Amnon became frustrated to the point of illness on account of his sister, Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. So what he ended up doing is getting some advice, and he ended up pretending he was sick, called for Tamar to come and attend to him, and then tried to seduce her. She protested, and what it says, and I read from the text, but he, Amnon, refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. And this is what it says, the, the next phrases. He raped her, then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Interesting, isn't it? Somebody so preoccupied with desire. And the desire, it seems, he is controlling it maybe, but he can't control it. And once he gives in to the desire, the desire flips. And the hatred he has for this woman was greater than the love he had for her. Sometimes we get in the grip of feelings that that get us in their teeth and shake us back and forth. That's the image I get of Amnon. In the grip of lust, and it shakes him this way and that way, and when the dust clears, spits him out and kills him. It ended up happening. And you're going to see, not just because David's going to do something like that, now, not with a family half-sister, but with a woman, that's what David did. But what I want you to notice They both did something, but then look at how they responded to God, either in the presence or absence, and how they respond to the person they wronged. What you're going to find, David is able to respond to Bathsheba in a way that allows her him to see her and to treat her with regard and respect, even though he wronged her. But listen to what Amnon did. Amnon raped her, then Amnon hated her, and then uh, Amnon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you have already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. She ended up going to tell her brother Absalom, She ended up living in Absalom's home as a desolate woman. Um, Amnon ended up being a victim of his desires. His mistreatment of Tamar ended up getting him killed. Absalom, the brother of Tamar, ended up killing Amnon and ended up trying to take the throne away from David. So God said, you're going to have trouble in your family, and David did. But David landed in a different spot. David landed on his feet. David did sin too. There's two different kinds of sins. There's leaking cistern sins. I would call that the sin that David committed with Bathsheba. I don't know what David's deal was, but trying to meet a need through a source that won't fully meet the need, that's what trying to draw water from a cistern. What cisterns? Cisterns can be people. 
Because the spring of living water is God. And what it says sin is, by the way, sin is relying on that, a cistern, to do what only a spring can do. Now, again, God is the spring, and everything else is cistern. Peoples are cisterns. Jobs are cisterns. Houses are cisterns. Relationships are cisterns. Money is a cistern. A cistern can do things. It's something from which you can draw resources, just not inexhaustible resources. So the problem is when we hold cisterns accountable to do something that only a spring can do. Do you understand what I'm saying? To give spring-rated resources or needs to cistern-rated sources doesn't make much sense. To draw security from things that can't really provide security is what it's describing. So, two, two different kinds of sins. We forsake the spring of living water. We end up trying to draw our, get our needs met by things that can't meet the need. David did this, but what he didn't do, he didn't do sin one, which means turn from or forsake the spring of living water. Now, he did, but, but then see, we'll see what he ends up doing. To forsake is to stop listening to. To stop listening to. That's what it means. To forsake the spring of living water, because God is the spring of living water, is to stop listening to him. Not to listen, not to try to hear him. Now, we don't have any sense at all that Amnon tried to hear God at all. We don't get the sense. David, we know what happened. Because David writes a psalm. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 was written by David after he had been convicted by Nathan the prophet. So what we have is an account of David's connection with God. Let's read that. David tunes into the living stream. Psalm 51, what David writes, that's what he's thinking. Again, I want you to imagine there's two roads stretching out in front of David. One is a road that would lead to destruction. A road is another leads to the place that he ended up, which is a good place. Those paths emerge from this place. If he spends and tunes into God, that's what he says. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, it's amazing to me. I've done this before. Let this be your sin. Okay? Coin. Let this be your sin. Now I'm looking at you. And I can see you in focus. I'm going to put this up in front of me now. Now I can still, but I'm focusing on you now. And you're still clear. And the coin is fuzzy. But now I'm going to zero in on the coin. Now the coin is clear. And how about your faces? Now you're fuzzy. Let this coin be sin. If I'm focused, and let you be God, if I'm focusing on sin, if sin is the biggest thing that I see, the ability to see God is not going to be big. But if my ability to see, what David does, even though he does this thing, God is still bigger than, 
more compelling than his sin doesn't keep him from seeing God and God's unfailing love. This is why David was a man after God's own heart. This is incredible to me. His picture of God was so big, it dwarfed sin and difficulty and failure. God was huge in David's eyes. There's something there. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions. My sin is always in before me, in front of me. What David understood is that sin was always an issue for him. He wasn't confused or deceptive or deceived relative to what was in his heart. Sinful tendencies, sinful thoughts. He said, my sin's always in front of me. But he goes on, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak, justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. David understood that sin wasn't something that he could eliminate in his life. He understood it. He accepted it, but he didn't let that be his focus. Even though he dealt with sin, he looked at God. That's a good thing, isn't it? Do you agree with me? Is that a good thing? To be honest about yourself, and yet don't lose the ability to see God, his compassion, his love, his power. Oh, here's what I'd say. Keep yourself in sight. Glance at your behavior. Gaze at God. How about that? Get your gazing glance right. Some of us, we gaze at ourselves, and we glance at God just long enough to see if he's going to hit us. You know, so we gaze. Put that around. Switch your gaze and your glance. If you're gazing at your behavior and glancing at God, your gaze and glance are upside down. Fix it. Gaze at God. Glance at your stuff. That's what David did. Uh, he goes on, uh, Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin. Blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is what he's writing to God when he spends time with him after Nathan told him what was going to happen. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O Lord, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices. Whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. A couple things. Blot out my transgressions. What you did at that time, if you created a crime, you did something, they'd write the crime on vellum. It's animal hide and the 
the ink was soluble. So when they, the image of blot out my transgressions, it's to take water, to pour water on this document, this vellum, and it would, well, you know what it would do with soluble ink? It would dissolve the ink. So you end up with a series of indictments, and then when the water has done its work, the water will be, the document will be clear. No indictments. And what David is saying, God, will you do that? Adultery, murder. God, will you, will you wash this? He, he sees what's on the document, but my sense here is he is not gazing at the document. Murder, adultery. God, will you, will you do this? I think what he's doing, he writes it down. He's, he knows it's here, but he's not gazing here. God, will you? You wash this away. You have lists like that, don't you? Things you stare at. Wonder if he'll ever going to forgive it. You know you might do. Reverse your gaze and glance. Sure, God knows about this thing. Look at him. That's what David did. That blotted out, wash away all my iniquity. You know what that is? Wash away. If you're, if you were clean, okay, so we can go back to Jay's illustration. So let's say at the end of the day, let's say I live in Israel and we live at the time of David and I'm involved in a feast with the king and I, uh, am feasting with the king. We're having ribs or oh, pulled pork and I, I take a bite, hey, how you, which might happen, and so here it is, so now there's, it goes, so here's what I have to do, so uh, when it talks about wash away all my iniquity, it's kind of wash away this, uh, this sauce, what they do, they take it to the river, they use things, and they pound it on rocks, now this shirt might not do as well, that they had more robust things back in those days, so what they would do to wash it is take this thing and beat it on a rock, and that's what David is saying, so he has, Clothing that has been stained by sin. You can see the marks, and he knows where this came from and where this thing came from. He's not deluded about himself. He understands that he's stained. He doesn't pretend what he does. He takes this garment, and he says, God, here it is. Would you clean this? Would you take this into water? And will you do what you need to do to get the stains out? I can't get the stains out. Because I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. You know what that means? Always before me stands boldly against me. He knows his sin is doing this. Listen to me. And David listens to himself. But you know what David does? Something that we have a hard time with. He doesn't just listen to himself. He talks to himself. We're good at listening to ourselves. Who do you think you are? Oh, you're Mr. Nice Little Christian. Boy, I bet you they would be interested if they could see what's on your document. I bet it'd be interesting if they could see what you did. I bet you'd be really interesting if your sin showed up on your shirt like 
stains. You know what David did? He didn't just listen to himself. He addressed himself. He spoke to himself. He looked at God and said, you know what, God? I'm saying this, but you, my sin stands boldly against me. But he listened to God. You remember the two sins? Do you remember them? There's leaking cisterns. That's sin two. And there's living streams. That's sin one. David did sin two. But you know what he did? He tuned God in. He tuned God in. He listened to what God said. And because he did, he landed in a different place than Amnon did. There's a lesson there, isn't there? Yeah, there is. Um, so renew a stable, renew a steadfast spirit in me. Rebuild a firm, stable spirit. You know what's happening here? I want you to get this picture. David tried to draw stuff from that, from a cistern. And then what ends up happening, he ends up coming to the stream of living water. He ends up listening to God and drinking what God says to him in deep drafts, gulping down things that God would say to him. And because he did so, the results are profound. I'm going to read what happened. You're familiar with it. I can never get through this. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. There's two paths. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke to David, but he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. They were afraid for his life. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves. And he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. What does David do now? Here's where the paths, here's where the paths go in different directions. Astonishing. Then David got up from the ground after he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped and drank from living stream. 
although he knew that he had just tried to get life from his sister and drank from the stream. (sighs) Then he went to his own house and at his request they served him food and he ate. The servants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now that the child is dead, you get up and eat? He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David did something Amnon didn't do. This is what it says. You got the deal here? Child dies. He gets up, washes, worships, eats. The very next thing, David comforted his wife Bathsheba. And he went to her and married, lay with her. Here's what it says. She gave birth to a son. And they named him, some of you know his name, what did they name that son? They have different names for that. I'm going to shout over you. There's different names. Ichabod is the name of some child in the Bible. It means the glory is departed. Ichabod. They must have named him Ichabod. Or bastard. Right? You know what they named him? What did they name him? Solomon. Solomon. Solomon was born out of an adulterous relationship between David and Bathsheba. Again, they married, and then Solomon, and then it goes on. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. And this is what it says. The Lord loved him. Can you let that sit? What if David had gotten caught at gazing at his stains? Gazing at the document. He would never have washed, worshipped, gone into Bathsheba and created something God loved. Are you stuck in a past sin? So preoccupied with it, you can't trust God to Wash it off your document. Beat it out of your shirt. And because you are so preoccupied with that, you cannot see others. So wrapped up in your own guilt that you can't see others around you and bring the comfort that you could bring. Does that happen? Absolutely it happens. Absolutely. That's what happens, especially when we do sin too, but we don't. We do sin one as well. We turn from, stop listening to the spring of living water. Um, it says the Lord loved him, and because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him. Solomon had another name. The name is Jedediah. Jedediah literally means. Loved by the Lord. I love that kid. God was ready to go on. He was ready to do something. And because David drank from the spring, he could 
collaborate with God in doing something. We'll notice God's ability to accomplish his purpose in spite of human limitations. Would you agree with me? Have you heard this? Again, we can make a point. Maybe some make a case for God has two wills. A perfect will and a permissive will. You ever hear that? God's perfect will and God's permissive will. The perfect will is the will when we don't sin and do wrong things. The permissive will is plan B. You know, if you don't, if you do it wrong, I think we'd have a hard time trying to apply that here, wouldn't we? Did David mess up? Absolutely he did. Now, was it bad that he had? But did David forfeit God's perfect will? Did he get plan B? What would you say? Did he? You know what happened here? David and Bathsheba had, I think, at least four kids. Both of those kids were direct bloodlines to guess who? Jesus Christ through Solomon, the line of Joseph, through Nathan, the line of Mary, David, Bathsheba, through Solomon, through Nathan, kids, generation, descendant, 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 Joseph, Mary, Jesus. That's amazing. God is so able to take frail limitations, even sin-based things, and put them together into something divine. It's amazing to me. Um, difference between David and Amnon, David's ability to keep tuning into God. Um, it says, last verse, Jeremiah 13, these wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, Go after other gods to serve them. I talked about this before. There's three things that happen here. Tune out, tune in, turn from. These disobedient people who tune me out, tune themselves in, and turn from. That's how sin works. Tune out, tune in, turn from. And David tuned in. By the way, if you're going to tune God in, in a crisis, you need to establish the ability to do it in non-crisis times. I guarantee you, if we don't try to cultivate an ability to speak freely with God in non-critical times, again, just to be open and vulnerable, to learn that, to learn to share our heart with Him, learning to do that in non-critical times, you'll do it in critical times when the sky falls in, but not doing it in non-critical times, when a critical time hits, that's not a time that you're going to be able to grab his hand. What am I saying? I'm not pointing a finger. What I'm saying, the time to develop an open relationship with God starts now. Be honest with him. Be open with him. Practice honesty to God. He already knows. Don't pretend. Don't pretend. It's always possible to tune God in. Right now where you are, it's possible to tune God in. You don't need to go from here to another place to tune God in. Tune God in listens. What did God say to you? This is the last verse. I lied when I said the other one was. I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. 
That's what he says. God's not going to think what God's sin is an issue. But he says, listen to me. Listen to me. Look at me. Don't look at me. Compassion, mercy, strength. I gaze at this progressive doing that. That's what David did. Have mercy on me according to your unfailing love, covenant faithfulness. Um, focus on that. I might ask Tracy, come on up. They're going to sing a closing song. The new covenant says, we talk about it, that it says when you mess up, you might, I think this is what God says. I, re- I do. When you mess up, and if you would tune God in, you'd say these four things. I am still in you. I am still with you. Good is still ahead of you. Guaranteed. That's a new covenant. When you mess up. In fact, when you do that, after you do it, whatever it is, when there's a mark on your shirt or a mark on the document, this is the new covenant. And what he says, if you tune him in, I am still in you. I am still with you. Good is still ahead of you. Guaranteed. And so this is what I'd say. Say that to him. God, even though I did this thing, thank you that you're still in me. Thank you that you're still with me. Thank you that good's still ahead of me. Guaranteed. Um, want to reiterate what Jay said. If um, if you're able to contribute, this is a fundraiser, but please, don't walk away because we'll have food. We'd really like to sit down with you. We'd like to sit down together. You're going to smell it going out. So, And if you're going to smell it, let, let the smell help you to find a seat. Join us. Let's sit down together. Uh, let me pray. Father, thanks for uh, who you are and what you're like. You continue to give it a vision for who you are, what your character is like, so we can be taken up with you, and as we do so, find cleansing and the ability to be the people you'd have us to be, the ability to see ourselves and see others as you do. In Jesus' name, amen.